0: You're listening to the sermon podcast from Real Life Church Pullman, reaching the world for Jesus, one person at a time. We are continuing our, our First John sermon series, and uh, to recap a little bit, Gary started this series a couple weeks ago and talked about radical hospitality. How do we love the foreigner? And I thought that was a great message as we kind of enter into this season. And then in the last week, Corbin really hit us hard with uh, the sermon, "God is light," and how we. Don't resist darkness for darkness sake, but we step into the light. And that's how we escape darkness. And what a powerful message that was, wasn't it? Um, Corbin, unfortunately, has to speak a lot more. I'm just going to say that right now. He's, he's awesome. He's awesome. And so he's a, he's, it's, it's, yeah, he's a blessing. And uh, so this week, I'm going to be exploring a new theme within First John, which is called knowing God, knowing God. And to start off, let me ask you guys this. There's a difference between, I think, knowing of something and actually knowing something. Knowing of something and actually knowing something. And we live in an age where we have the access to information at our fingertips more than anybody else in the history of humanity. In seconds, I can Google an image. In seconds, I can look up places that my grandparents and great-grandparents didn't even know existed in this world. We have access to just unlimited amount of information. We can Google landscape things like like, you know, like no other time in history. We really have a, an access to knowledge that is, frankly, kind of scary in a lot of ways, I think. And, and we just have a lot of information coming at us every single day. And it's truly a, a marvelous thing and a scary thing at the same time, how, how much access to information that we have. But we have to really stop and think sometimes, what's the difference between getting to know someone or something or experiencing them or experiencing it, right? When I was in high school, I had the opportunity to go to Venice, Italy, which was a pretty exciting time. And I had seen pictures of Venice, Italy. I had heard the stories about Venice, Italy, but actually being there in Venice was a very different experience. They don't tell you that every bridge looks the same. And so I got extremely lost in Venice because I kept trying to cross bridges that I thought was the last bridge I walked over. And they all looked the same. No one told me that. You know, you go to St. Mark's Square, which I have a picture of it, I believe. You know, that's that's St. Mark's Square. And that's St. Mark's Cathedral. And so this is kind of the, the the what you think of Venice when you go there and where you go visit. But what they don't tell you is, well, is when you go into St. Mark's, the, the floor is all bumpy because they buried so many bodies underneath St. Mark's Square. Right? And so there's things that you get to experience that now has a, a deeper level of relationship that I have with, with Venice. I have these kind of insider or experiential things that happen to me that now I think about more than I think about a, a Google image, stock image of, of Venice. And so we think about this idea of getting to know someone or knowing something or knowing of someone. And I want you to think about knowing in the sense of a deeper familiarity and relationship. That when we, we get to know someone or something, there's a deeper familiarity and relationship like I now have with with Venice, other than maybe just you know, deeper level than just Googling the city and looking at it and saying, wow, look how pretty Venice is. I have stories of, it. I know how, how dirty the canals are sometimes, right? I, I can also appreciate the beauty of being able to be there in person and, the, and the getting to know the people of Venice a little bit as well. There's a deeper sense of, of familiarity there. And I think what First John is teaching us is the theme of knowing. There is a huge theme of First John in knowing. In the book of First John, What you'll see is the word know, K-N-O-W, is used 25 times in five short chapters. John is trying to really drive home the idea of knowing. How do we know? What do we know about God? And there are a couple different ways to say no in Greek, and this is very significant. The way the word that he uses there is, is very significant. The first one that we see in Greek is the word oida, oida. This is like um, you got to see so you know. So when the the wise men are are going to Bethlehem, what they see is a star. They get to know the star, the oida of the star. They see it, they perceive it, and they go towards it. And oida is a way of of getting to see something so you get to, to know it. We see it, we look up pictures of things, right? We go on Google Images, we know of those types of things is oida, But the word that John uses is the word gnosko. Gnosko. He uses this 25 times within this particular book. And this is something you come to experience. This is something you come to understand through relationship and experience. So it's not just something you perceive and you see. It's something you get to experience in almost in a sense of a relational aspect, in a sense of getting to know someone. right? And so this is the type of of know that John is going to be talking about here is when you have a personal relationship and experience with someone or something, you can gnosco that type of experience. You know, when I think about my relationship with my wife, Amy, we, we have a gnosco relationship. She's not something on a screen that I just look at, right? She is someone I have relationship with, experience with. We get to know each other more every single year because we spend time and experience with one another. In relationship with one another, this would be a type of gnosco And this is the word that John is using over and over again within his book. And he's really asking us and telling us that there is an aspect of knowing God where we can know of him or we can actually know him. And that's the question I want to ask us today. I want to explore is do we know of Jesus or do we actually know Jesus? Because you can know of someone without really knowing them. And this is where John is going at it because the, the church in Ephesus, where John is now, you know, an old man and is is kind of this patron elder of this particular church, and and he's really trying to push home to these this this first generation of believers outside of of Israel, going get to know Jesus, don't just know of him, because what happens in this first generation is a lot of confusion, disorientation. You have people coming in and saying hey, we know of Jesus, this is who he is. And he is having to come in and try to actually say, no, you're going to know who he is by these certain things, right? So he's coming in, and he's trying to help this church out in his age. And the first thing he does and how he starts his letter is he says, you got to know by witness. You have to know by the witness. This is called apostolic authority. If you ever took a New Testament class, This is what they would talk about is apostolic authority. Those who saw and witnessed the life and death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. Here's why we starts the letter. He says in 1 John 1, 3, what was from the beginning, what we have heard and what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. And the life was revealed, and he was seen to testify and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was revealed to us. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. I don't know if we fully appreciate exactly what John is teaching us here. that The Christian faith has a very unique beginning more so than any other religion on the face of this planet. It has multiple eyewitness accounts of the life, death, resurrection of Jesus. What you see in a lot of, of other religions is a single person saying, I saw something. I witnessed this. You look at most of them. I came out of Utah. There was, a, there was one guy in particular that said a lot, a lot of things about what he saw. Okay? Okay. But the Christian faith is very different because we have thousands of people who saw these things. 500 plus saw the resurrection of Jesus. 500 people, if you committed a crime and 500 people saw it, sorry, you're going to jail, right? 500 people saw the resurrection at least. And now these people who saw and witnessed these things are now proclaiming, what they saw to the rest of the world. This is called apostolic authority. Those who were, who were apostles in that first century were those who had seen and witnessed the life, death, resurrection of Jesus. And this is what John is saying, is then don't take my word for it. These other teachers who were coming into Ephesus and saying these things about who Jesus was, don't take their word for it. Listen to the eyewitnesses. Listen to those who saw and touched Jesus who lived with him, who lived with him for years, who knew him intimately, who, who were in a relationship and who experienced him. This is a unique aspect of our faith, is that we are not building off of something that is just a philosophical idea or that one person saw this one thing 2,000 years ago and so we should believe it. He's saying this was something you could feel and touch. It was a reality for hundreds, if not thousands of people to experience. Nothing else like this in the world. Than what we have here, and Albert Einstein says this: "Any fool can know. The point is to understand. Any fool can know. The point is to understand." He's saying, "Understand what we're saying to you, Church of Ephesus, and Church today, as we listen, as we read this this message from John. The point is to understand. John is confronting a a a hard time in the Church of Ephesus with a lot of confusion, a lot of disorientation." a lot of false kind of news about who Jesus was. And he's telling his people, don't get confused or disoriented. Understand that what the message that you're believing and seeing is something that happened within the history of this world. And again, I think we kind of lose this aspect. We're really disconnected from that first century Christian world, right? We're 2,000 years now apart from this eyewitness. But we have to also remember that we are a part of this that we are hearing this proclamation and testimony from the eyewitnesses that's preserved so well in Scripture for us to be able to also carry forward with us, that what we're putting our faith in is not some philosophical idea, but it's about an historical fact, an event that occurred thousands of years ago that God has preserved to us to this day. I mean, that's amazing to me. You think about um, what's called contextual criticism or textual criticism, the idea of the, the amount of sheer information that we have about Jesus is mind-blowing. Now, I studied uh, ancient history in college, right? So I studied a lot of the Thucydides. Who's ever heard of Thucydides? Oh, wow, it's more than I thought. Okay. Herodotus, Caesar, right? You guys ever had in that Latin class you had to read Caesar? Yeah, nobody? Okay, cool. Um, not many classicists in here. So you, you were trained. we were trained to read these texts in Greek and Latin and things like that, so we could understand what they were saying. But no one ever told you the the limited amount of copies of these original translations that we have. I mean, you're talking, you know, maybe six copies of Caesar. Now, nobody is going around saying, hey, Caesar never existed, right? No historian, no one in this world is saying, hey, Caesar never lived, right? No one says that. But guess what? We only have six copies of Caesar's writings, six, right? No one's walking around saying, hey, we, it, it was Thucydides really around? He wrote about the, if you read about the, the, the Spartans and the Athenians fighting, this is Thucydides. He's the one who, who wrote about the Spartans and Athenians fighting. No one is saying that that never happened yet. We have maybe eight of his manuscripts that survive today. How many of you want to guess how many of the New Testament manuscripts that we have today? Over 20,000 copies of the New Testament. The witness that the Lord has preserved of who he is through the eyewitness accounts is something that history you can look at and go, this is beyond comprehension. Historians of of the classical periods look at this and go, this shouldn't happen. How do we have so little of these people who supposedly were kings and emperors and so so little information about them, but yet we have thousands and thousands of copies of this carpenter from Nazareth who claimed to be the Messiah. The way that the Lord knows how to keep his words together, preserve the eyewitness and knowing of who he is to the rest of the world is a miracle that we can hold on to and believe. And John is really using this word knowing to kind of sit these Gnostic teachers down because Gnostic to know in Greek is to be a Gnostic. And so he's kind of doing a little kind of knife to the side a little bit. He's like, you call yourselves the knowers? I'm going to tell you what it means to know. And so John is really kind of going after these these Gnostic teachers because these guys would go around saying, we're the knowers. And he's like, do you really? Did you feel, touch, and hear him in person? Because I did. Pretty cool the way that he's doing this. So the faith he walk of a resurrected Jesus is the same way in the witness that is preserved in New Testament, that is preserved here in the book of 1 John, and that we can be encouraged by this. And John is trying to encourage his people to stay unified, to stay focused, to keep their eyes fixated on the, on the first-person eyewitness account of the historical Jesus. Is how he starts this letter. So when we think about knowing Jesus, it starts by understanding that we are believing a message that is of the eyewitness account of someone who, who lived with Jesus, who touched him, Who heard him, who was called the beloved. I mean, somebody who was very close to him as well. I think it's an account that we can, we can safely put our dependence in, don't you? If someone said, hey, yeah, I walked, talked, lived with him for three years. In fact, here's 500 other people that did. I think I'd feel pretty comfortable going along with this, right? Because the Christian walk does not walk blindly, I think this is an important factor. The Christian walk does not walk blindly. You guys ever heard of blind faith? We are never called to blind faith. That is not something that as a believer in Christ, you were ever called to. Because blind faith is this. The definition of blind faith is the belief without true understanding, perception, or discrimination. And there are definitely times in this world where you will not know the next step. But this is not blind faith. There are times and you're going to have circumstances and you go, I don't know what my next step is, Lord. Again, this is not blind faith. That's just faith. <laughs> when you're like, I need something to depend on outside of myself. Blind faith is when there are no evidences, no understandings of actually what's going on. Like, I know, I know that even though I can't see the next step in front of me, I know that the Lord's going to catch my foot. That's not a blind faith. I don't know what that looks like, but I know he's going to be there. There's a difference between what we're talking about with faith and blind faith, and blind faith is never taught within Scripture. A blind faith is actually the opposite type of faith that we are taught from John and the Lord Jesus. In fact, I would say John and Jesus are teaching us an inquisitive faith or revealing faith, a faith that grows through the ability to reveal more about himself as we walk, or an inquisitive faith when you ask questions. I think Jesus loves Q and A's, loves to be able to say, God, I don't understand why I'm going through this. God, I don't understand why I have to go through this particular step or why I'm waiting for this. How many of you have been sitting and waiting for the Lord and going, I don't get it. I think all of us have, right? Right? That's a part of the walk, right? That's part of the inquisitive revealing faith that's found in Jesus. It's never a blind faith. In fact, Jesus says this in John in John 10 and that. In the context of this, he's actually going to be introducing us to the Holy Spirit. But he says, if I am not doing my Father's work, don't believe me. Don't believe anything I'm saying if I'm not doing the Father's work, he says. But if I am doing them and you don't believe me, believe the works. Believe in the evidences of it. Believe in the things that I'm doing. Right, The feeding of the 5,000s, the miracles and the healings, soon to be the resurrection. He says, believe these things in me. Don't take my word for it. See the effects of it. See the truth of it. See the reality of it. See the realness of it all in this world. So this way you will know and understand, understand, not just know of, but to know really and understand who the Father is in me and I and in the Father, revealing who he is. And the context of this also, he says, I'm also going to send you an advocate, the Holy Spirit, kind of completing this trifecta, of who God is. So knowing Christ isn't about just following him blindly with no understanding or being swayed by those who only talk about him. Because there's going to be a lot of people who come in and out of your life who talk a lot about Jesus. But the question is, is do they really know him? Do you really know who he is? If you could take a step out, understanding exactly what he's done through history, Understanding exactly and remembering all the things he's done from Eden to now. And are you willing to take that step out going, I know you're gonna be there? Or you just kind of go, I know of him, I know kind of this metaphorical idea of who he is, this philosophical idea, like I know it in and kind of philosophically he should be there when I catch when he catch me, or you go, I know him so well, I trust him so much that I know he's going to take my foot when I step forward. You just realize through the relationship and experience of knowing him that he's going to be there, that he's there for you, no matter what that looks like. It's about recognizing what the Lord has done, witnessed to, testified, passed down to us, and that is still real today. I think it's an amazing thing that as you read Scripture, especially the New Testament, you read Acts, and you read these miraculous stories, and you think, God still does these things today. That we're serving the same Lord Jesus that they did 2,000 years ago. That the same ones that we talk about with Israel, going to the wilderness, and the book of Joshua, and all these things we did this summer, realizing this is the same God we get to know, and to serve, and to love, and to live among us, live among us with today. That when I cry out, when I pray to the Lord that there is someone out there relationally experiencing my prayers. That still blows my mind to think about. That I can can cry out, that I can pray to God and he is going to go, I hear you. That the creator of everything that's ever been created is still so relational to go, I hear you. I know you. I feel it. I know exactly what you're going through. I love our God is not a detached God that just kind of sits out there and says, well, I hope they find me someday. But that is living and active, relational, saying, hey, come experience me. Come be among me. Come to me. And I will come to you. That when we cry out, he hears us. We're not speaking into some void, but a real living being who wants us awesome. And knowing leads to living like Jesus. This is where John goes in his letter. Knowing leads to living like Jesus. John actually gives us the answer of what it looks like to know Jesus, to understand Jesus. In 1 John 2, 3 through 6, he says this, by this we know that we have come to know him. We have come to understand him. We have come to Genosko, to experience him, if we keep his commandments. Then the one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever follows his word, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. The one who says the one who says that he remains in him ought himself also walk just as he walked. And so we think about what are the teachings of Jesus? What are these commands? We kind of get... A little part of us, I don't know about you, sometimes I hear the word command in my like my legalistic twitch, kind of starts going, you know. But it's really this idea of a of, of a teaching. What is Jesus teaching us? And John says again, and what his commandments are, what his teachings are in John 13. He says, as Jesus gives this command to his apostles at the Last Supper, I give you a new command, a new teaching. Love one another, just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So what does it look like to know Jesus? What does it look like to know God? To love one another. Very simple, right? When you think about what it means to love somebody, we've talked about this before, but it's the key aspect of following Jesus is that you are committing yourself to one another. Are you committing yourself to one another? We're going to have bad feelings for one another. That's going to happen. That's humanity. We're going to be offended by people. That's what happens. That's that's humanity, right? We're going to have relational breaks. That happens. It's humanity. Jesus' commands, though, are to love one another, to be committed to one another, to do the things he did, to take those who, who dislike us, to take those who don't agree with us, to take those who stand against us and to say, I'm going to commit to you. I'm going to love you. Despite the hurt, despite the broken, this is the great commandment of Jesus and what it looks like to follow him. He says, if you know me, you will live like this. If you know me, you will love your enemy. Pretty simple, right? No, very difficult, exceptionally hard to do this. But This is what he says. If you know me, you will come to know me. You will keep my teaching of loving one another, And this way you will love each other. You will follow and be one of my disciples. And this is really a classic contextual idea of what it means to be a first century rabbinic literature. So if you were to say I was going to follow a teacher in the first century, you were going to be an imitator of that teacher. You were, you were imitating whatever that teacher was saying. This is why Jesus says, don't have any other teachers before me. Right? Don't call anybody else teacher. Don't call anybody else rabbi because you were to imitate me. And so if you were going up there and, and you were supposed to imitate everything they did. So whatever Jesus was doing, the, the disciples were supposed to imitate, feed people, love people, heal people, take care. You'll see this, this throughout all of the New Testament is how the, the disciples are given opportunities to imitate the thing Jesus was doing. And this is exactly what he's saying here is if you are going getting to know me, if you are knowing me relational experientially, you are going to imitate me. You are going to walk like me. You are going to care about the things I care about. You are going to despise the things I despise. You are going to oppose the things I oppose, and you will embrace and welcome the things I embrace and welcome. Knowing Jesus leads to a life of imitation of him. Leads to a life of imitation of who he is. Caring for what he cared for, pursuing what he pursued. Paul, trying to imitate Jesus Says this in 1 Corinthians 8 3. If anyone loves God, if anyone loves God, this is one of my favorite verses, he has been known by him. And I think so often many of us just want to be known by Jesus. We want to know that we're known. You guys ever been there? Like I just want to be seen by Jesus. I just want to know that he sees what I'm going through. I just want to know that he sees what I'm experiencing. I've been there many times where you just kind of feel alone and isolated. And this is a great verse is that anyone who loves God is known by him. Anyone who's committed to him is known by him so that we can sit here in full certainty. Like, yes, I am committed to God. Therefore I know that I'm known by him. We are called to an authentic relational commitment to our Lord and then welcomed into the participation of it with one another. It's an opportunity. Being in community is an opportunity to to really see and flex this participation of loving God and loving people in a real way amongst this earth to then love God is for him to then know you and for you to then understand and experience him so that you can introduce that love to somebody else so they can get to know God as well because this world doesn't take much to see needs to know who Jesus is not just know of Jesus really get to know who Jesus is. Amen? We live in a world in, that needs a creation is crying out to know who Jesus is. And I've seen experiential love of Jesus many times in my life, but there's a few times in particular that stand out. And I'll, I'll tell you one story of when it was just like one of those moments where you go, man, Jesus knows me and is very real. Let me tell you one of my my stories. So, as you guys know, um, earlier this year, my family went through a really tough time with the passing of my niece, Lexi. In February, it was actually the same day that I got a call about coming here in April to come visit. It was the same day that she she passed away. So, talk about roller coaster of emotion, right? And I'm still like getting used to talking about it. So, if I get a little raw, you guys forgive me. But the whole experience was very disorienting. Obviously, if you've ever gone through a deep loss like this, it's very disorienting. You kind of just feel numb. You're shocked. You, you just kind of wander. It kind of feels like you're wandering a little bit. And I remember we were at the, uh, the funeral about a week so later. And again, I would, you know, I would try to keep it together for the family. But it was usually like in the shower. I just would like lose. It. I'm like, I'm already I'm already crying. So just, you know, just wash it all out. And, but it was amazing. And it kind of, when I was around during that time of the funeral and there was one that really stood out. So Moab is a very tight community where I'm from, you know, maybe 2,500 people. It's like a, a Colfax or something. you just kind of know everybody. And um, so I was hearing these stories of, of, of people in the community when, when Lexi had passed away, there was a, a particular artist in Moab and, Moab is kind of an artsy place. So you have a lot of these artsy type of people. And um, the day that she passed away, she woke up that, and she didn't know, and she woke up that morning, and she's like, I need to, to paint a picture of a dream that I saw. And so she got up, and she painted this, this picture. And then when she found out Lexi had passed away, it was pretty, pretty mind-blowing. But she painted this picture, and this, her daughter was good friends with, with Lexi. And, you know, Lexi had really long brown hair. She was real short, but she had real long brown hair, right? And, um, and so her sister, or her daughter, sorry, came over and looked at this picture and was like, Mom, that's Lexi. And I got a picture of it. Isn't that amazing? I mean, it just it blows your mind when you see the reality of it. That when I saw that picture, and when my family saw that picture, it was one of those moments where you're like, I know that Jesus knows me. I know that Jesus knew Lexi. I know that Jesus saw our family. It's just one of those things you're just like, how is that possible? Right? This person who didn't know her saw this in a in a dream and painted a picture. I mean, it was just one of those things where you just you you build a little landmark around, and you go, I know that Jesus knows. Right? I know that Jesus. It's It's phenomenal. And we get to experience those things all the time as people who love God and are known by him are these moments where Jesus becomes so real and so tangible and we know him. So I ask you, how has Jesus known you? And how have you known, been known by Jesus this week? What are the stories that you could tell of having been known by him and knowing him and how he he works and acts in your life. Because knowing Jesus leads to security. And this is my last point. Knowing Jesus leads to security. First John five, 13 through 14 says this, these things that I have written to you who believe in the name of the son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life, that you may know you have eternal life. This is the confidence which we have before him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. You know, I've sat in classrooms for years, almost a decade now with people, and I would ask the question, do you know, do you know, or can you know that you have eternal life? And about half the crowd goes, I think so. And everyone's like, I don't think you ever know. Well, John is telling us here that we can know we have eternal life. we experience it, that we understand it, that we can live confidently without the fears of the unknown here in this time, in this world, that in this world, we're going to go through a lot of false securities, securities like jobs, securities like relationships, securities like finances, all these things that are kind of just a false sense of security. Whereas John is saying, hey, in the conflict and the disorientation, the confusion of this world where you're not sure where the next step is, you can know that you have eternal life, that you can know that when you cry out, when you pray to the Lord, he hears you, he knows you, and he will be there with you, that he gives you a security that is beyond anything else in this world. So I want to end this message just by emphasizing that knowing Jesus is the only security that we have, that the world gives us a lot of false securities, kind of these false impressions of security. But knowing Jesus is the only true security, and that's the only confidence that we need to be able to walk out in this world, to be known by God, to love God, and to love people. So we put our faith in Jesus, entering into a loving relationship with one another, and with him, we enter a security of commitment as he has committed to us, as we commit to one another, as we love one another, as we surround ourselves with people who love God, We don't settle for anything else except really knowing Jesus. Don't settle for anything else. Don't settle for a relationship that is just this knowing of Jesus. Go after the access that is found through Christ to really know and understand and experience in a very real and powerful way the life of living and following Jesus. Amen. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us at rlcpullman.com and by connecting with us on Facebook. Until next time, have a great week.